song that says, I have lived in the goodness of God. Amen. I have lived in the goodness of God. Here today, we all live in the goodness of God. Amen. We live in His faithfulness. Amen. It doesn't matter our faith. Amen. It doesn't matter our unfaithfulness because we are unfaithful and we do things that aren't pleasing in the God, but that doesn't dictate His faithfulness. Amen. Our unfaithfulness doesn't nullify God's faithfulness. Amen. God will always be faithful because He's good. Amen. He is good. Amen. And He keeps His promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love You. We praise You, God. We thank You, God, for all that You are, God. Lord, we thank You, God, because You are faithful. You are good, God. You keep Your promises, God. Lord, you are who you say you are, God. And we're just so thankful for that, God. Lord, we're so thankful that we serve a living God today, dear God. We serve a God that shares his presence with us. Amen. He doesn't keep that presence from us, God. But you just continue, Lord, to shower your presence upon us, God. And we're just so grateful for that, God. We just can't live without your presence, God. We can't live without your Holy Spirit, God. We can't live without you moving, God. We need you to move, God. We need you to move every day, God. We need you to move in this service, God. We need your presence above all, God. Lord, my words ain't going to get nothing done, amen? But your words, God, and your presence, that's the only thing that will change situations. That's the only thing that will better anybody's life. That's the only thing that will save anybody is your love, your presence, your words, God. Lord, I just ask you to have your place today, dear God. Lord, and let your words speak, God. Let your beautiful words speak like my wife said. We want to hear your voice today. We want to hear you, dear God. We want to hear straight from the throne of God today. We want to see you, God. We want to see your glory today, dear God. Have your way in this place today, dear God. Let your will be done, God, in each and every heart in this place, God. Help us to be obedient, God. Help us to be obedient, God. Amen. Your will be done. And you be seated. We'll dismiss our kids at this time. I told Pastor Mark that both of our messages all start the same way. Amen. Every one of our messages start the same way. Amen. And they end that way too. Amen. So they start with amen and end with amen. Amen. Just uh, good to be here in the house of God tonight. Amen. Good to be here in the house of God tonight. Good to feel His presence. Good to sing His praises. Good to worship Him. Amen. He's just so good to us. So faithful to us. Amen. Yes, He is. I don't know if this mic's cutting out or if it's just me. But uh, we're going uh, to be in one of my favorite stories in the Bible tonight. One that I've wanted to preach ever since I started preaching. But God's just never really led me to do that. It's a really a beautiful story. It's a... Uh, Shocking story. <laughs> it's a really shocking story. I've heard a lot of people describe it as a scandalous story. And it's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Amen. I almost titled this, I'm a Gomer. But I didn't know how that would, I didn't know how that would go over. Most of you young people, that wouldn't phase any. But a lot of you older people know a Gomer. And he wasn't the brightest of them. So, <laughs> so I didn't name it that. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to know something going in uh, before hearing this story. If you've heard it, this is the first time you've ever heard it, or maybe you've uh, heard it, but you've never really studied it. But this is the prophet Hosea, okay? Hosea is a prophet. 
And uh, most people refer to this book as one of the minor prophets, okay? And it's not because they're less important. It's just because they're a little shorter than the other books. Okay, this uh, story is very important. One reason is it's so important today is just what my wife was just saying, is you're going to hear directly from the voice of God today. Amen? You'll hear directly from the voice of God today. This is God's voice speaking to Hosea today, and that's where we're going to hear it today, which is, makes it a very important story, okay? Now, this is a voice that reveals a problem that will lead to destruction. It's also a voice that seems unfair. Amen? This voice may even seem cruel when you read it today. When you read this story today, this voice may seem cruel to you. But you're going to learn that this is a voice of perfect love. Okay, a love that crosses over what seems fair to prevent our destruction. A voice that understands the end, but yet he's working all things together in the middle. It's a voice that confronts the unfaithfulness of human life with the realities of consequences and hope. How many of you know that this life has consequences? The choices we make in this life have consequences. Right, so I hope you're intrigued. Before we dive in, we're going to get a little background of the larger biblical study kind of preceding this. See, God has spoken to a man, his name was Abraham. God had declared and promised to Abraham that his seed would rise up a great nation through his seed, would rise up a great nation. And this nation would bless the entire world in time. Through this promise rose up the nation of Israel, amen, rose up, rose up the Jewish people. And God began to reveal to them the nature of life, right? He began to root them in his love. He revealed himself greatly to them. And he also reveals who they were meant to be and how they were meant to be and how they were meant to be righteous, how they were meant to live free. See, these Jewish people, they had a lot of outward forms of religion. If you go back and you read the Old, Old Testament, you'll see one thing is that the Jewish people had a outward forms of religion. They looked religious. Amen. They looked really religious. But the one thing they didn't have was sustained faithfulness. They didn't have sustained faithfulness. And really what they teach us is that unfaithfulness usually comes one choice at a time. Okay? Unfaithfulness usually comes one choice at a time. During this time, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms, the north and the south. Okay. The north consisted of ten tribes, and the south, which was basically around Jerusalem and Jerusalem, was two tribes. And one of them was the tribe of Judah. And that's why they called this area Judah. And Hosea is mostly speaking to the northern tribe, but he does come, if you read the whole book, he'll speak to the, uh, the southern tribe also. But he's mostly speaking to the northern tribe. During this time, the northern tribe had made some alliances with Assyria and with Egypt. And uh, they were beginning to compromise their relationship with God. These human hearts, see, they were personally chosen by the creator of this earth to be his special people. They were called his special people, his children. And they had began to turn to other gods. And honestly, that's the story of the Old Testament. Amen? That's the story of the Old Testament. You have God's children. They're enjoying God's blessings. They're in his presence. They're, they just can't get enough of him. But then they begin to worship other gods. They began to turn to these idols, and eventually they're taken into captivity. Then God has to come free them, and then they begin to worship God again, and then the cycle repeats. That's the story of the Old Testament. See, these turning away that we talk about always began with little looks and small compromises, and that helped them to meet some need or desire. But then over time, it began to redirect their hopes. 
their trust, and it always led them to destruction. And this is where they're headed right now. The children of Israel are headed toward destruction. But then God rose up a prophet, and his name was Hosea. And as I've said before, I'm going to mess up these names bad, okay? But I'm going to say them like I know them. And y'all going to just sit there and say, he knows his names. But I don't know those names, okay? This is uh, Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Biri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The opening statement gives us a lot of context. You see, you read a whole bunch of names there, but if you read that really closely, you'll see something. Okay, You'll begin to understand that Hosea is more than a prophet. Hosea is a man. He is a son. If you read a little bit further, you'll find out that he must be a young man because he isn't married. As any young man, I believe he probably had dreams. He probably had hopes. He probably thought about building a successful life. He probably thought about having a, a good wife, having some children, and becoming his own adult. But it's within this season of Hosea's life that he talks to him in verse 2 and 3, and he tells him this. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, basically that's his saying, God's talking to Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, which conceived and bare him a son. And a lot of you are wondering, did that say what I thought it said? Amen. Did that say what I thought it said? And it did. It said exactly what you thought it said. Okay, what this is explaining is these children of God had departed from the Lord. It said that the land hath committed great order, departing from the Lord. The God that had miraculously given them their land and delivered them out of slavery, now they have begun to worship other gods, begin to take on these idols, and they have begun to intermingle with those that God had told them not to. So God doesn't simply speak to Hosea and ask him to go and preach to him like he had to Jonah and some of the other prophets. He asked Hosea to go and be a living example of their unfaithfulness. Another quick lesson for us today is the best message you'll ever preach is by your life, not by your words. Amen. 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 See, God makes Hosea live out Israel's unfaithfulness by marrying a prostitute. And we quickly say, why? <laughs> right. Why would he do this, right? But really, we have to understand this because you see, that's kind of shocking to you that God would ask somebody to do this. But what's even more shocking is the unfaithfulness of Israel to God during this time. Okay? That should be even more shocking to us. The unfaithfulness of God's children is very shocking. So I'm going to give you a little understanding here before we even get into it. This marriage that God is talking about to Hosea is a representation of the relationship between God and his children, the children of Israel. That's what Hosea's marriage is. It's a representation of the relationship between Israel and God. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Can you just imagine the eternal struggle that's going on in Hosea's mind at this time? Can you think about it? The context we're given here and, and every commentary that I've read leads us to believe that Hosea is marrying Gomer and that Gomer was already a prostitute. Okay? It's not like he married her then she became a prostitute. She was already a prostitute. So God is telling Hosea here that you will go, you're going to marry this prostitute, okay? And this is going to give you a lot of public shame. It's going to humiliate you, right? But also going in, you have to know this. Your wife's going to leave you. Amen. She's going to cheat on you. 
She's going to love other men more than you. She's going to find her pleasure and satisfaction in others, having absolutely no respect or appreciation for you, and you're going to be the laughing stock of the whole town. That's what Hosea is hearing right here. And this is Hosea's life, okay? So he knows it's going in. So what he does is he turns, he runs, and he gets eaten by the whale. That's not what happens, okay? That's not what happens. That's not what happens. This is a faithful man of God. He does what he's told. He marries this prostitute woman. Right? This is a man of God, a prophet. He's a preacher, if you will. This man spent his day seeking God, preaching to the people, warning them of their simple ways, and then at night he'd go home and he'd wonder where his wife was at. Night after night he would lay awake wondering where she was and who she was with. I just wonder, maybe he probably went out in the streets wandering around, asking people if they'd seen her. you got to imagine, this has got to be humiliating, right? I don't know how he processed all this. We're not giving any context on how he processed this. But what we do know is that Hosea suffered for the sake of faithfulness. He suffered for the sake of faithfulness. Not only does he go in knowing that his wife's going to be unfaithful to him, but God goes on to explain to him that this woman's going to bear him three children. I read one context in the commentary that said one of the, the two of the children wasn't his. I don't know that, but that's but but what we are told is that she had three children. Okay? And if you read verses four and five, it says this. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will offend, avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to seize the kingdoms of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass all that day that I will break the vow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. This is referring to an ancient city in Israel named Jezreel. This was the site of a very tragic part of Israel's history. See, there was apparently a great slaughter there, and it was still very painful to the Israel people. And if you can think about it, I was kind of equating to this. If you uh, talk with somebody that was in the Second World War, if you knew somebody that was in the Second World War and you were to bring up the name Pearl Harbor, it would probably bring about a lot of pain. Amen. It would probably bring back a lot of thoughts. Amen. Something that in their time, their life, that was painful to them. And this is what Hosea had. Every time someone called this young man's name, Jezreel, in public, it would be a reminder to everyone around that God had dealt harshly with their sin in the past. And if you read the fifth scripture, it says he's going to do it yet again. Mm -hmm. Right? If you remember, the Jezreel Valley is the place that we're told the Battle of Armageddon will take place. Mark and I stood over that valley and we prayed. We was up there for probably an hour or two praying over that valley. It's a beautiful place. It's really beautiful. You can see out as far as you want to see, but it holds a promise of great destruction. This name Jezreel has a lot of pain that goes with it. Not only pain, but a promise for pain to come. And that was his son's name. Then she had another child in verse 6. It says, Then she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lorahama. I didn't say that, but that's okay. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. So Gomer had another child, this time a daughter. The Bible tells her her name was Borahama. That name means not pity or shown mercy. This is to show that God will have no more mercy on his children. No more mercy. Okay? He's saying that time's over with. No more mercy. <coughs> Verse 8 tells us, Now when she had weaned Borahama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Lohami, 
For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. So this third child, who was named Lohami, which means in the Hebrew language, no kin of mine. No kin of mine. This literally means you're no longer my children. Remember, you know, when God had been uh, mad at the Israel children before, remember when they talked to Moses, he said, what? Your children, right? He had kind of disowned them then, but here he's saying they're not going to be my children anymore. See, even in their grumbling, even in their complaining in the, in the wilderness, he was still, they were still his children. He always showed them favor, amen? He always showed them favor, no matter if they complained, whatever it was. But now he's saying that day's come to an end. You're going to be just like every other nation. You're no longer my children. And I know this all seems cruel, but I want you to understand one thing. The children of Israel had been unfaithful to God. They had been worshiping other idols, mixing with people they did not believe in the true God. And he had told them not to do this. So they were unfaithful. What I believe God is doing here is he's showing a little bit of tough love. Amen. Showing a little bit of tough love. If you're a parent, you know about that today. Right? Sometimes you have to show a little tough love to prevent your children's destruction. Am I right? You know, it really, if you think about it, if you was to honestly think about it, it is, it seems cruel to pop a toddler on a hand. Right? If you was to just say, I'm going to pop that toddler on a hand, that would seem cruel. But if they're reaching for something hot, it makes sense. Amen? Because you're preventing them from getting hurt. Right? So you're preventing them from getting hurt. So if we're going to raise responsible children, right, there are going to be times that you're going to have to show tough love. Amen. Amen. There are going to be times, and I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm not going to go there because I really don't want y'all fussing at me after church. Okay? But there's going to be some times where you're going to have to show tough love if you want to raise responsible children. Okay? Tough love will eventually be a blessing to your children. Right? Tough love will eventually be a blessing. If love is meant to protect or preserve, it is then a powerful love. If love is meant to protect or preserve, it is a powerful love. The household of Hosea's, Hosea demonstrates a powerful father's love to us. So there's several points we're going to learn today, okay? The first point is this. The love of God is undeserved. Right? The love of God is undeserved. When I think of about a man named Hosea, I can't help but think of all the people that he came in contact with every day. And they probably ask him the same question. How can a holy and faithful man like you love an adulterous woman like that? Can you imagine that? That's what I would be asking. How in the world can a man that's so holy, so faithful to God, love a woman like that? That's exactly what I would be asking. And that's exactly what I'm sure many, many people was asking. And it's a fair question. How can you stay with her? How can you love her? She's unfaithful to you. She has no respect for you. She continuously wanders from you. But I also understand that C. Hosea realized the answer to those questions in itself a bigger question. See, all this caused Hosea to wonder, how can a holy God love an adulterous nation like us? How can a holy God love an adulterous nation like us? How can God love a people that continuously wander from Him, has no respect for Him, so unfaithful to Him? How can He love us so? Hosea's neighbors, family, friends, they all thought this was shocking. Amen. They probably thought it was appalling, disgraceful. She didn't deserve this kind of love. Not realizing it was only a mild picture of their own unfaithfulness. And how undeserving they were to be loved by God. See, they were living out a deeper adultery. They were living out spiritual adultery. See, God is confronting their spiritual adultery here through Hosea. 
the children of, of Israel have turned to so other sources to satisfy their hearts, to satisfy their desires. So Hosea's life was a living example of their unfaithfulness. And God's teaching them it's not okay to be unfaithful. Okay, it's not okay to wander back home and then go back out and sin. It's just not okay. See, but today I believe he's still trying to tell us that. Okay? It's not okay to wander in and wander out. God said he was a jealous God. Amen. He said he was a jealous God. He wants your whole heart. Gomer was turning to other sources to satisfy our desires. And if you read the entire book, you'll see that Gomer and the children of Israel had continuously turned to things that would satisfy them in the world instead of turning to God. Turning to the things that would give them pleasure. Things that would give them security. But you will also see that the things that they turn to, those things eventually enslave them. That's right. Amen. And a lot of times in this world, the things that we turn to will enslave us. Amen. Amen. So when I look at this story, I, I kind of see some truths in this. We too can be unfaithful. Amen. We too can give our hearts to a lesser love whenever we have a greater love. Amen. Amen. We can be those that turn to things in this world that will satisfy our, our, our desires for a moment. But eventually they will enslave us. See, today, the truth is, I'm going. I'm going. And don't get mad at me, but you too. You too. You're Gomer too, amen? See, I can change that name today to Keith, that name Gomer to Keith, because the truth is, Gomer is simply a representation of our sinful, unfaithful nature. Our nature is that we are prone to wander from God. That is our nature. See, there is unfaithfulness in every one of us. And that's all Gomer is, is a representation of that unfaithfulness. That is why we say today that God's love is profoundly undeserved. Hosea has learned that God's love is rooted in his nature, not us. So God's love is not rooted in us. It's in him. The truth is, God loves you no matter what you do. God loves you no matter how faithful you are. Because God is love. God doesn't even need your love back. He desires it. But it still doesn't change his love for us. Whether you love him or not, he's still going to love you. And that should comfort you today, right? You see, even though you don't deserve his love, he still gives it. See, our failures don't dictate God's love. Okay? Your past don't dictate God's love. Okay? God's going to love you no matter what. And that's great news, right? Because God would have written me off many years ago. If it was, uh, if it was all dependent upon my love for him and my faithfulness to him, he would have written me off many years ago. But instead, just like that song my wife did, my beautiful wife did, the song, he continued to run after me, and he continued to chase after me. Amen. Listen to this. This is kind of how I explain it right here. When I say I love you and you refuse to love me, it hurts me. Okay? If I tell you I love you and you don't love me back, that hurts me. When you tell God you love him, when God tells you he loves you and you refuse to love him, it hurts him too. Right? And the difference is, you see, when, when I tell you that I love you and you don't tell me you love me back, I lost him, right? But when God tells me he loves me and I don't tell him I love him back, he hasn't lost anything. It's me that's lost. It's me that's lost, right? I'm the one that's missing out. See, the story of Hosea teaches us that God's love is completely undeserved, even irrational when it comes through our eyes. That song we sing all the time, that song, Reckless Love, when you first hear it, you're like, I don't even know what this is. Like, should we should be singing this in church, right? Right, because it sounds kind of weird when you sing it, but God's love is reckless because we're not a sure thing. Amen. God, God 
gave his life for us, and there was no guarantee that we would live our life for him. Amen? So it is a little unrational. It is reckless, right? When you look at it in those ways. Right? So this grows even more dramatic as Hosea is called to a greater grace. Gomer appears to have sunk as low as she can, and now she's fell into love with this other man and who didn't really care about her at all. He's just using her. And eventually that man puts her up for sale as a slave. During this time, I've read where it was very common that whenever a woman was placed up for to be a slave in this context, in this way, they would actually rip their clothes off. Okay? So she's literally naked, up on a tree stump, amen, or a block of wood or whatever it was, a post, whatever it was, during that time, up above the crowd so that everyone could see her and that people could bid on her. Okay? And that's where we find Hosea in 3, 1 and 2 when it says... Then the Lord said unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I brought her to me fifteen pieces of silver, and for a homer of barley, and half a homer for a home and half a homer of barley. Okay? I read a, another uh, version. I don't know which version it was. It might have been the ESV. But it said like this, that the Lord said, go and love a woman who's in the very act of adultery. Amen? Go and love a woman that's in the very act of adultery according to the love of the Lord. Amen? According to the love of the Lord. So take that scene in a minute. See, these people had seen how unfaithful Gomer had been to Hosea. She had no respect for him, as we said, and she just gave herself to other men as she wanted to, and they knew Gomer, and they had made fun and talked about Hosea, and now here they are, all staring at Gomer's naked body, amen, sitting there making bids on her, sitting there making bids on her as she's sold into slavery. And then somewhere in the back, you hear a loud voice that says, I'll take her, I'll buy her, I'll take her, right? So they all turn around, and they're all in complete shock when it's her husband, her husband who... This is his wife, bidding on his wife to buy her back. The Bible says that the earth is God's and the fullness of it. Amen. The earth is God's and the fullness of it. That means everything is God's. Amen. Everything is God's. Everyone is God's. Okay. Everything and everyone is God's. Gomer was Hosea's wife. She was his. And here he is buying her back. Buying her back to him. And that's shocking. Amen. That's scandalous. And it just seems unfair. See, from our vantage point, the love from Hosea Gomer is kind of weak, right? It's kind of appalling if you think about it. It's kind of disgraceful, a little bit shameful when we look at it like that. But what I hope you understand today is that God's love for us is also shocking, right? right? Because we don't deserve God's love. Amen. See, what we see in the story is that our disgrace is met with God's grace. Our unfaithfulness is met with God's faithfulness, okay? Our unfaithfulness is met with God's faithfulness. See, and that leads us to our second point. Today, the love of God is not deserved, but yet it's desperately needed. Amen. Every soul created in this world is rooted in love. In fact, it's really by love that most of us find our worth. In other words, the, the, the more we are loved, the more we feel worth. The cool thing about God is this, though. You're not loved because of your value. You're valued because of your love. Okay? You're not valued because God... You're not loved because you have value, but you're valued because you are loved. 
So why is the love of God needed so much? See, there's nothing else in this world that can offer you that type of love. Society loves you, but only because of what you can offer. This culture in today's world loves you because you can offer it something. Right? It's just the way the world works. I'm, I'm a huge sports fan. Okay? I love sports. I watch just about any kind of sports. And uh, in sports, the way it works is as long as you're winning, you're loved. Amen? As long as you're winning, you're loved. If you're a Carolina fan, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Just, just, a, just a little shot. <laughs> but you're winning as long as you're loved, right? But you can be the worst guy in the world, but as long as you're winning, you're loved. Amen? I think about a man, I don't know if you know, Floyd Mayweather. Right? He's a boxer, okay? And I hope he isn't watching because he would slap knock me out, okay? Just like all the Carolina fans in here, okay? He would slap knock me out, right? He would beat me to a pulp. But there's no way that anybody likes this guy for his personality, okay? There's no way this anybody's liking this guy for his personality. He's just not a great person. But he wins, and therefore people love him. Maybe you uh, maybe don't know Bill, uh, Bill Belichick. Anybody know Bill Belichick, right? Nick Saban, right? These guys, they're not going to win Sports Personality of the Year, okay? They're not going to be Sportsman of the Year by no means. But there are people in New England and Alabama that will absolutely kill you for talking about those guys, okay? But let them start losing, and their fans will turn on them in a minute, all right? I'm a Georgia fan, and we had a coach down there named Mark Rick who everybody loved until he stopped winning games. And then they ran him out pretty quick. It's just the way the world is. As long as we offer value, we're loved. To God, our value isn't in anything we can give. Our value is in what God's already gave. Right. Amen? His son. So your value isn't in what you can give, it's in what Jesus gave. That's, right. that's what makes you worth everything to Jesus. You're worth everything to Jesus. And that's why we desperately need his love. You all know this, but God fills a void in your life that only he can feel. Amen. See, we're created to live in a relationship with God. And when we don't have that in our lives, we're always going to have a void in our lives. And the things of this world will not fill it. I've tried all those things. Trust me, they will not fill it. That's why the Bible says God offers a peace that this world cannot offer. You're never going to know peace in this world unless you know it through God. So you desperately need the love of God. And the great news is, is that God has given it to you as a free gift. Amen. Isn't it awesome that what we, what we desperately need is a free gift? Amen. Amen. That's awesome, right? And it's available to everyone. No one's disqualified. It's available to everyone. It's available to you just as it is to me. Another great thing about the love of God and another point is this, and you may not see it in the moment, right? But it leads to this third point. God's love will allow you to go through some things to understand you need it. God will sometime allow you to go through some things to understand you need His love. If you're going through something today, you may just need to understand that you need God. Amen. Amen. If you go back to Hosea 2, 7 through 9, it says this, And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. So it was better with my first husband. For now, for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return 
and take away my corn the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and recover my wool and my flax, given to cover her nakedness. See, God's love allows us to face some consequences sometimes that, for the things that we turn to instead of Him. See, those things don't fulfill us. Those things will ultimately destroy us. Just as Gomer had turned to sex with these strange men to try to fulfill what was missing in her life, we sometimes do it too. Right? It may be affairs just like Gomer. It may be alcohol, drugs, porn. Those things, they're all going to lead to our eventual destruction. I was thinking, and I preached my cousin's funeral yesterday. He was 41 years old. 41 years old. We had played together as children. And uh, he had gotten on drugs pretty bad. And he had battled them for several years. And uh, he was trying to fill something in his life that was missing. He had two children that's going to grow up without a father. Because he wouldn't allow God to fill what he was missing in his life. Instead, he turned to these other things, and eventually his heart couldn't take it anymore. So eventually he died. 41 years old, and he has two kids that grow up without a father because he wouldn't turn to God. Instead, he tried to turn to the things of the world. Every one of us in here can say, I'm sure that we've turned to things just like Omer has, just like my cousin did. The thing about Gomer is she was trying to seek him for something to fulfill what was missing in her life. She was turning to these men to fill her, not knowing it was driving her further away from what she actually needed. She was trying to get this, this peace in her life or whatever she was seeking for, this fulfillment in her life, but it was actually driving her further away from the only thing that could fulfill her. Amen? So she needed a wake-up call. She needed a wake-up call, so she ended up naked on auction block before she was aware of the condition she was in. Some of us in here may not realize the condition we're in. Some of us cannot realize maybe that we're pushing ourselves further away from what we actually need. You've all heard the story of the frog in the, in the pot. Right? It likes the warm water, but it's not realizing that it's slowly getting hotter. It's slowly getting cooked. Right? It doesn't realize that. It doesn't realize that it's getting comfortable to cook there, if you will, until something wakes him up. A lot of us may be getting cooked before we even realize that we need to wake up. So God, just like Gomer, in Gomer's case, allows some things to come into our lives sometimes to wake us up. That's what we refer to as the tough love we was talking about. It's loving because it understands that the consequences that we will face is greater than the consequences we face now. There's nothing in this world as bad as what we will face if we don't know God. Right? You may have lost some things, maybe you lost your marriage, maybe a job, maybe a relationship with your child, your parents, whatever it is, financially, whatever it is, there's nothing compared to what you'll lose if you don't have a relationship with God. Amen. The Bible says that the suffering of this present time cannot compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. Amen. But what it also implies here is that if we don't turn back to God, then the suffering of this world doesn't compare to the suffering that's going to come. Maybe you're going through some things that God's trying to wake you up, but that doesn't compare to anything if you don't wake up. Amen? Some may think, well, why don't God just take these things from me? Maybe he should just take these choices from me. Maybe he should just remove that choice, and I'll have no choice, and I'll turn to him. But that's not free will. It's not free will, and that's not real love. So God doesn't remove the choices, but instead he allows us to face the reality of those choices. Fourth and last thing we need to learn today is that the God, God's love offers us new hope. Offers us new hope. 
that's the most beautiful part of this story. If you going back to uh, chapter 2, 14, verses 20, it talks to us a little bit about this new hope. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from thence, in the valley of Achor, for a door of hope. Achor means door of hope. And she shall sing there as the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be that day that the Lord thou shalt come, call me Ishi, and shalt call me no more Bali, for I will take away the names of Balium out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of the heaven, and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercy. And I will betroth thee in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Here Hosea is saying God will lead her out of the wilderness. He's going to lead her to a door of hope. He's going to lead her to a door of salvation. Amen. And he will then remove these false gods, these idols from her mouth. He will then restore her to her rightful place of faithfulness and righteousness, and she will know the Lord. Amen. She will know the Lord. Praise Hosea is prophesying here to the, from God to the children of Israel. And whenever Israel is mentioned to the, in the Bible, it means us. Okay? Whenever Israel is mentioned in the Bible, it also represents us. So what God has done for Gomer, what God has done for Israel, God will do for you too. Amen. Amen. Sometimes when we're persistent in our running and our rebellion, God lifts his hands of protection off of us a moment. And he allows us to come to a place where the consequences of our rebellion and then we're awakened. Amen. So sometimes when we're in rebellion, God will allow us to come to some things that will wake us up. So we may stumble in this valley as the children of Israel did. We may find ourselves in some broken places, some broken dreams, some broken hearts, some broken lives. But it's a place that God always brings a door of hope. He always brings a door of salvation. It's in this place of longing that God says there's a better end, there's a hope, there's a way out. Hosea's come to that place today. He's come to this place where slaves are sold, where his unfaithful bride's being sold to the highest bidder, and out in the crowd yells a price, yells a call. I'll pay the price. I'll bear her back. I'll admire her. So I hope today we all understand that Gomer represents you, and he represents I. She represents I. We've all been unfaithful. We've all got caught up in our own desires, our own lusts, our own temptations. We've all been captive in our sins. We're all gone. But what I also hope you understand today is that Hosea represents Jesus Christ. Amen. See, Jesus had to leave heaven. He had to come down to this evil world and he had to buy back his own bride. We were his. Amen. But we were unfaithful. So Jesus had to leave heaven and he had to buy us back. He had to pay a price. And that price was his life. Jesus was willing to give his life. Amen. He was willing to pay it all. Titus 3, 4, and 6 says this, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. There's nothing we've done to deserve it. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Listen, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, not for anything you've done, right? not for anything I've done, but just for love. Amen. Amen. Because He loved you. 
Not a love we've earned, not a love we've even deserved, but God so loved each and every one of us that he gave his son. When the Bible says God so loved the world, he's talking about you. You're so loved. Amen. You're so loved that God gave his only son for you. Jesus so loved you that he gave his life. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and I'm going to tell you the story while they're coming up. There's a story of a little boy who built this sailboat. It wasn't a real sailboat. It was just kind of a toy sailboat, a model sailboat, if you will. And he built it, and he fixed it up, he painted it, he put the little stuff inside of it, the tar or pitch, whatever you call it. He put that stuff inside of it, and he, he was proud of the sailboat, but he wanted to make sure it worked. So he took it down to the lake, and he pushed it in, and he was hoping it would sail. He was hoping it would sail, and then about that time, this little wind came up, and sure enough, a breeze filled the little sail, and it began to move across those waves. And he was so proud, he was so proud. So proud of this boat he built on his own. This was his boat. And suddenly, before the little boy knew it, the boat was out of his reach. He waded in as fast as he could. He went as fast as he could, as far as he could, and tried to grab it, but he just couldn't grab it. He watched it float away. He hoped maybe the wind would shift and it would blow him back to him, but it never did. Instead, it just went out farther and farther until it was gone. A little while later, he went home crying, and his mom asked, What's wrong? Did your boat not work? The little boy said, it worked too well. It worked too good, Mama. A little while later, maybe a few weeks later, the little boy was downtown and he walked past one of these thrift stores. And in the window, he saw his boat. This boat he made. And it was his and he was sure it was his. So he went up to the store owner and he said, that's my boat. He walked to the window and he picked it up and he was going to leave with it. It's his boat. But the owner of the shop says, wait a minute, son, that's my boat. I bought that boat. It's my boat. The boy said, no, it's my boat. I made it. See, he showed him some little scratches on it where he had kind of tried to carve his name in a little bit. The man said, I'm sorry, son. If you want it, you're going to have to buy it. This little fellow didn't have any money, so he didn't have any money. So he began to work hard, and he saved his money, and rake the leaves, he cut some grass and all summer long he saved his money and at the end of the summer he was able to go in and buy that boat as he left the story that day he was holding that boat and he was saying, you're my boat you're twice my boat first you're my boat because I made you second you're my boat because I bought you Amen. so if you think you're not worth much just remember of what God thinks about you, Amen. you're his Twice his. Amen. First, because he made you. You're his rightly by creation because he created you. Amen. And second, because he bought you on a cross. Amen. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. You're his. Twice his. He's done his part. Amen. Now it's up to you. My pastor asked a question a long time ago. He said, What will you do with Jesus? We all have to come to that conclusion. What will we do with Jesus? Amen. We all have to ask that question to ourselves. What will we do with Jesus? Jesus done his part. He gave his life on the cross. He bled on the tree for us. We were bought with a price. Amen. I can just imagine that. We're out in sin. We're out in a sinful world. Trying to fulfill our lives. And trying to just. Just trying to fulfill our desires. Amen. But then out of a 
back of the crowd, Jesus cries, that's mine. You're mine. Amen. I'll pay the price. Jesus paid the price for each and every one of you. When he was on that cross that day, he was thinking about you. Amen. He was thinking, I'm paying this price for David, for Jack, for each and every one of you, for me. We're all redeemed by a price. Amen. We're his. His creation. His price. I'm going to pray. And if you don't know God as your personal Savior, you're going to have an opportunity today to pray. But God was bold enough to give his son. And Jesus was bold enough to get on that cross. You'd be bold enough to come to the altar. You'd be bold enough to step off and give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're in a place where maybe you've stumbled and fell just like the children of Israel. Maybe you're in the uh, valley just like they were and things just aren't going right. God's offering a, a door of hope today. He's offering a door of salvation for you today. All you got to do is come and give your life to Him. He's already paid the price. There's nothing more He needs to do. He's already paid the price. All you got to do is do your part today. So we're going to pray. This band's going to sing. And you're going to have an opportunity. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Yes. God, we're just so thankful for your presence today.